Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, look at a big hunk and just tell them happy Father's Day. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. Don't worry, Lompoc Campus. We're going to get it on the wall. And so we're so glad you're joining us, uh, whether you're here in Buellton or in our Lompoc campus. Maybe you didn't know if you're here, here today, there's a, a crowd of people in Lompoc who is meeting right now watching this live. And we're so glad that you're there. So whether you're in the room here, you're at the Lompoc campus, you can slip up your hand if you need a Bible. We have a gift for you. And so um, borrow one of ours or take that as a gift. And uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you think that? That's awesome. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Hey, man, that's better. Hey, so turn in your Bible. We've been in a series for the past couple of weeks in the book of Titus. And so if you start in the right, turn left, you'll find it much faster. Uh, and I'm going to attempt to uh, finish the, um, the third part of a sermon I tried to preach three weeks ago. And uh, so I want you to turn to chapter one, starting in verse nine, and you can say amen when you're there. Amen. Titus chapter one, starting in Verse 9 says this, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Who's he? Uh, leaders and elders, bishops, teachers, men that God has uh, appointed uh, by the work of Titus. Paul tells Titus, put things in order that I left undone. Put men in charge and, and help them organize the local community and be people who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke is a strong word which means to stop in one's tracks. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Or in other words, there are people who don't hold to spiritual authority and at that time, it was the apostles, people who are closest to Jesus. They don't hold uh, to the authority of the scriptures. And then there are people who are empty talkers, or in other words, they give good advice rather than proclaim good news. Empty talk is talk that is uh, good for your right now, but doesn't have eternal implications. So people who are insubordinate, they're outside of the bounds of the authority of scripture, spiritual authority, empty talkers, they just say things that are temporary. They do not have eternal implications. And then there are people who are deceiving, uh, especially those of religious 
persuasion, the circumcision party. They must be silenced. What a strong word. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, last week we talked about this, uh, he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of your own. In our culture, that'd be modern podcasters and stand-up comedians, people who are able to speak to the culture, to say things that we know to be true, that sometimes are difficult. He says, one of your own, Uh, says this about Cretans. Now he gives a stereotype or a caricature and oftentimes stereotypes and caricatures are have some uh, hint of truth to them. That's why they are stereotypes. He says, listen, one of your own and it's kind of that moment where uh, he, he, Paul is, it, it understands our feelings. It's like, I can say whatever I want to about my family, but you better not, right? Amen. And so he says, listen, I'm going to appeal to one of your own. He says this about Cretans, <clears throat> that they are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy, lazy gluttons. And Paul just goes, I agree with this. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them. Stop them in their tracks, steer them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, made up stories, and spirituality without uh, groundedness, uh, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God and deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. But as for you, as for you, Titus, as for you, pastor, as for you, leader, as for you, father, somebody say amen, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I pause just for a moment. I thank you that on today, Father's Day, I have the gift of a healthy son after uh, multiple weeks of, of um of sickness. I thank you that, that he's running around playing and his lungs are healthy. I thank you for the people you've surrounded us with. I, I thank you that today you, you help us and encourage one another <clears throat> around your scriptures, that you lead us, you challenge us, um, you stir us all towards the person of Jesus. And we ask for your grace today. And everyone said, amen. You, you know what just in infuriates me. It absolutely drives me crazy when people drive fast in parking lots. Amen. Right. Come on. Some of you, you're, you're waiting. Cause some of you, I know you ladies in those minivans, you rip through there. I see you. Okay. All right. But there's something about, I don't know. I don't know because maybe it, it, I, I live close to the church parking lot and I feel like the church parking lot's like an extension of my lawn. And so I've turned in like to the old man who's like, get off my lawn, you know? And so now I think what's happened is I think I'm the parking attendant in every parking lot that I'm in. Right. I'm just like yelling at people. You could see me at any parking lot in the valley. And I'm like, Hey, slow it down. Right. Like what's wrong? Like what's wrong with pastor Sam? And, and, and like, I, I don't know about you, but my, my kids, there's four of them. It's like herding cats. Once you open that door to that van, man, they just scatter out. Amen. And, and it just, it, when, when I'm trying to, let, let me tell you, like if you attend Crossroads church and you drive through apartment, you're going to hear my voice in your head from here on out, slow down. Right. And if I see our sticker, 
shirt on the back of your van, right? And you're ripping that, like, I'm going to pastor you well in that moment, all right? <laughs> Bang on your hood, right? <laughs> like, slow down. Because what happened, like, I just, I'm, especially as a father, I was always kind of like that, but as a father, man, when people drive through the parking lot fast and my kids are getting out of the car, man, they're just, my spidey senses go off and fury hits me. And I, 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 I'm, I am uh, in, in, enraged by anyone who might put my children in jeopardy. Right, you ever feel like that, mom, dad, right? You, you, you get furious when, when you feel like maybe your kids are in danger, right? Like there's something in us in those moments, just one of, those, one of those moments, one of those small glimpses, like an accident could happen, something could go wrong, one of my cats could scurry out in front of your vehicle as you're ripping through. And let me tell you, it, there, there is nothing uh, that is expedient or needy about you trying to get to blenders to get a Slurpee, okay? All right. Right? If, you, if you're on your way to get a smoothie, right, friend, you're not in a hurry, okay? All right? When you're like, hey, man, I'm in a hurry. You're not in a hurry, okay? There's nothing going on in your life that it's important right now you're getting a smoothie, okay? So, so the reality is, is like when I feel like my kids are in danger, man, I, I go into a fury. I, I, there, there's something about a father's fury. See, I, I, I think... Um, I think we can identify with that. I think we can identify with something about us as men. And I want to talk to men today. I want to talk to fathers today. And I want to tell you that there are some things in you that our culture and society has frowned upon and told you that that very thing is toxic. And you are not meant to be a ferocious father. And I'm here to tell you that the world longs for a ferocious father. The world longs for the fury of a good dad. And see, I, I think we have to fight against that cultural stream, that norm. We have to fight for truth. We, we, we have to not just swim easy down the current of culture. And let me just tell you that if you, if you swim easy and, you, and like a lazy river, you're, you're in your little uh, inner tube and you're floating down the lazy river of culture, I can tell you that you probably most likely are not following Christ if you're eased down down the lazy river of culture someone say amen to that if you just easily flow downstream rather than living in in such a way that we live for God and culture we live for the, the kingdom culture that is our local community, our house of worship, our, our families. And, and we as fathers, that's why Paul tells Titus, listen, go find some men, go find some fathers of good character, not quick tempered, but thought well of by others. And then he gives them a charge. He says, listen, you're going to have to fight against teachers who are insubordinate to the authority of God. So then their authority is subjective rather than objective truth. It's, it's whatever they think and feel in that moment. That's why he says, don't devote yourself to people who quickly sway from the truth that one day, uh, it's this way. And another day it's that way they're double-minded and as James would say unstable in everything that they do so don't devote yourself to men who flip-flop who go back and forth who will not call truth truth will not identify what is true 
truth, but allows things to be subjective. But will you fight for what is true? So he says, go find some men. I left it undone, but find some men in your community. Set them up in your house of faith and and make sure they're good in their household because how could they ever help the household of faith if their family is in shambles? So find good men of good rapport who will hold firm. In other words, fight to hold to sound teaching. Can I tell you that fighting for truth is indeed that, a fight. Someone say amen to that. We should be empowered. We should be stirred. We go, Pastor Sam, I don't, I don't know with all this talk of fighting. See, fathers fight. Father, fathers fight against lies and for truth. The, the fight is both ways. I fight to devote myself to the truth, but I also fight uh, to protect my family. He says, listen, there are teachers out there. They're going to upset whole families. And they're, they're, they're going to try to intervene and, and try to, uh, to deceive and pull away. And so then fathers, men, we have to be devoted to the fight for truth. And we can't just be like, well, she takes care of the kids. Someone say amen to that. Oh, we could do better than that. Lompoc is out shouting you this morning, right? Amen. We got to be devoted to it. We got to fight. Well, it can't just be, well, she takes care of this and we need father figures. We need, we need to help in the gaps when, when those single moms and, and, and those who need help, like, like my mother was, men in the church who come alongside. We need father figures and fathers and strong men who have that ferocious fight for the truth. That like the fury that happens inside the parking lot when someone uh, puts your child in danger. The Bible says that the enemy is crouching at your door seeking whom he may devour. He is like a lion. So will you be ferocious in keeping your family in the truth? Will you be ferocious about keeping them in the household of faith? Will you be ferocious about bringing them here and seeing them as being that they need to be taught and trained and they need to see the father devoted to the truth of God's word? Is that if I do you know that 85% of the time if a father comes to church, 85% of the time the family will follow? 85% of the time. Man, that's a big deal. So then the cultural uh, fight is the culture says we don't need strong men who lead and guide strong and devoted to truth. We need passive men. No, the scriptures tell us something completely different. We need men who are ferocious about protecting their children, their family, about what comes into their eyes and their ears, what they're watching, that we're not blind to what's on their devices. We're not blind to to the stream of media that's coming in because everything is bidding for your child's attention. Everything is bidding and preaching a sermon. And you have to decide not everything is true. There is a truth. His name is Jesus anything opposed to him is a lie. Anything that pulls away and strays 
And see, a small deviation in a short throw might not be a big deal, but a small deviation from the truth stretched out over a lifetime, stretched out over generations, passed down. What does the family unit, what does a society, what does a community, where do they end up as our arrow moves off target? That's the very definition of sin. In the Hebrew, it's this word kata, which is like an archer who aims an arrow and shoots. Sin means to miss the mark. And so it may seem like a small thing, but the New Testament would tell me it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that so easily set us back. And it's the small things that add up to big things. It's the small decisions. It's the small things. It's the temporary, avoiding the temporary satisfaction. It's the meal that you know is not good for you, but in the moment it is so good, right? And yet it's those meals add up. The junk food adds up, the, uh, the bad habits and the, and, the, and the health. All of a sudden you realize that you are the totality physically of your decisions. And you're, how much more are you spiritually the totality of the things that you eat, the meals, the things you consume? And will fathers ferociously fight because there are those speeding by with lies. There are those who are crouching at their door. And will you ferociously fight against lies and for the truth? See, good fathers fight you go, Pastor Sam, I don't know about this whole, uh, this, this doesn't sound like a Jesus message. You said you were going to talk about Jesus. See, I just want to tell you, as we talked about three weeks ago, one of the ways you can identify a false teacher is when they say Jesus. Are they talking about their Jesus created in their own image, or are they talking about the Jesus of the Scriptures? So will I submit the sound doctrine is the person of Jesus, but are we talking about the same person? Because I think culturally what's, what's kind of like get, gets put and propagated out there is that Jesus was the original flower child, right? Everybody love everybody, right? Jesus was the first tree hugging hippie, right? He just, he just got along with everyone. Is that the Jesus of the Bible? No. Man, Jesus stirred things up everywhere he when he even makes this statement he says i didn't come to bring peace wait what either you're a peacemaker no peace with god from god for god but what he'll create what he says and what he actually did was he said he'll create war he'll turn father against son mother against daughter whole households will be disturbed because they have been living according to lies and when they begin to follow the truth and we know this the history of the church maybe in our culture full families do not go to war when someone says they follow Jesus but there are cultures today not thousands of years ago cultures today that if one person was to come home and say I follow the one true God his name is Jesus it could cost them their lives and the people that t take their lives could be their very own family Jesus says I didn't come to create peace but It'll be war. It will be a fight. Jesus said things that the very fight of your life is a fight for truth. A fight to follow Jesus. 
See, this is the fight. This is the very fight of your life. Everything flows down from the truth, the way, the truth, the life. His name is Jesus. And this fight has always been the conversation. It's not an ease of way. It's not a lazy river. It's a fight for your life and the life of your family, the life of your community. And it's always been that way. It's actually the start of the stories in the Old Testament. There's a story of this man, Jacob, who has this relationship with God. And yet Jacob's name means deceiver. And yet God leads him on this path to leave his deception his manipulation, his adherence to the lies and using lies for his own self-gain. Titus says that, that there will be teachers, there will be people who lie and deceive and teach what ought not be taught for their own gain. And that was Jacob's life. He was a deceiver and he taught things. He, he, he taught his family. He lived his life in such a way that he was deceptive from the start. And God leads him on this journey. What does that journey lead to him? An actual fight. The Bible says the angel of the Lord came down and Jacob wrestled with God. They got in a fight, friends. Listen, if you are going to walk this thing out with Jesus, you're going to get in a fight. Somebody say, let's go, baby. Right? This is going to be a fight. And he fights so well. The story paints for us that God changes his name. He's going to walk with a limp the rest of his life. He's going to bear the scars of one who wrestles with God. Are you someone who bears the scars, bears the marks of someone who wrestles? Will your family be able to see from the limp, the humble limp of you fighting? Will they be able to see it? Will Will there be markers of you wrestling with God? And God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel, which literally means one who wrestles with God. See, this Christian faith is that. It's the fight to follow. It's the fight to move towards truth. It's the fight in yourself. It's the fight with the world around you that you will be committed and devoted to the way of Jesus. This is the wrestling match. This is the fight. This is the foundation of what we believe. See, it is a fight. And I'm convinced that as we have good men and good fathers in our society who fight well for truth, they don't just just believe everything that they read, whatever headline, they don't just share whatever comes in. They're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but devoted to sound. When we have that, if we fight well, others will win. Amen. If we fight well, men, our families will win. Our marriages will win. Our children will win. They will be better when we fight for truth. Because we love them, we fight well. See, see it is love that fuels fury. It is love that fuels a passion to fight and protect and avenge See, uh, I don't know if you realize that there's some things that happen in the world that 
frustrate us. You ever notice this? Or you, ever, you ever look around the world and like, I feel like right now we have this low grade hum of frustration and anger, right? Like you sense that. It's just in the room, it's in the building, it's in everything we do. There's this low grade frustration. I wonder if we were meant to have that. Because I think sometimes our anger is misplaced, right? Because what happens is, is you are not omnipresent. You cannot be all places at all times. And you are not omniscient, which means you don't know everything. Let's, let's try that again. You don't know everything. You cannot be in all places at all times and you cannot know everything. And that is true until you put one of these in your hand, right? And then you're like, I got the whole world in my hand, right? Like, that's how we think. What, what happens? Then we're like, they did what? Where? Can you believe this is happening? Like, dad, calm down, right? Like, can you, can you believe? Like, mom, what are you doing? I'm, do you know what's happening over there, right? Like, let's be honest, right? We, we get frightened. And I wonder, see, see I think this, that sometimes this is the work of the enemy, that every global problem becomes a local problem. So we know everything about everything fear because we don't understand statistics and we don't we don't understand how rare events are but even the most rare of events become front and center and we feel as though this is happening every single day see i, I think this is not a new thing and I, I don't know that we were ever meant i don't know if our hearts were ever meant to contain this type of information see in the garden this was the very choice God gave Adam and Eve this command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what they already had knowledge of? Good. Can you tell that God is for your good and he wants goodness for you? You know what he was keeping Adam and Eve from? The knowledge of evil. Because ever, after every day God created, he said, and it was good. And it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Adam, even, I want to keep you in the good. I want to keep blessing you. I want to bring unadulterated pleasure to you, which is literally the very definition of Eden. Like this is for your good. Trust your father. Trust your creator. This is for your good. And what is it about human beings being deceived by the enemy? Is he has convinced us that we would love to know the other side of the coin and love to see what is evil. And yet now we have that. We have knowledge of good and evil and we have almost God-like instantaneous awareness of all that is evil without an outlet without an ability to do anything about it. We're just frustrated with no outlet, low-grade humming frustration, feeling like somebody ought to do something about all of this. You ever felt like that? Where someone was do something? See, what I think is something that we can learn from and learn about our heavenly fathers, understanding the fury of our earthly fathers. See, that fury for your kids, that fury to protect, to love, to bring justice, right? Like, like there's sometimes, like, like let's be honest, there, there are some appropriate times for that fury. Some of you need to calm down at AYSO games, okay? 
They're not going pro, okay, friends? Leave the refs alone, all right? Right, just have a good time, right? T-ball's not the time to be the ferocious dad, okay? That's not the time. Your fury is misplaced, brother. Amen. So you're like, well, he really wasn't a good ref. Anyways, uh, <laughs> and, and yet our, our, our fury, although at times leads us astray because it's not completely fueled by the right reasons, that fury can be something that turns toxic. But yet, this fury is an indicator of something that's there by design. It's actually a part of who you are. And it also points to the creator in which and whose image you are created in. See, this fury of a father actually helps us understand our heavenly father because here's the reality. The world longs for the fury of our heavenly father. It's reality. And yet there are people who try to try to misconstrue the fury of our father. See, there are those, when we talk about teaching sound doctrine, there's a whole doctrine that actually gets moved away, that gets sorry, you go, I could never believe in a God who would. And usually when they say I could never believe in a God who would, and they begin to create the God in their own image, that God is lacking in his ability to deal with the issues and evil of the world. And usually when someone says I could never believe in a God who would, after that statement comes, I could never believe in a God who would create a place like hell. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's skeptical? Maybe they want to believe one side of Christianity. This is the doctrine that they just cannot get down with. But what if I told you that unless there is a place like hell, then God could not be a good father. See, the reality is hell exists, and that's good news. That's good news. And something in us tells us this is. See, hell is the ultimate expression of the fury of a loving father who brings justice where there has been injustice. And the world longs for this. Don't let the enemy deceive you and make you think that, that this is not a doctrine that is to be embraced or that people can't understand this. Even in our secular society, there are those who sing out and cry out for a place like hell. Maybe you're familiar with the Kentucky artist, the famous and wonderful Chris Stapleton. The man who sings like an angel smokes three packs a day. All right, all right, all right. Chris Stapleton, a few months ago, after he released his album, 
his most recent album, on his album, there's a song on that album that he performed, I think, at the CMA Awards, and he performed it with a black gospel choir who joined him in a symphony of sound, and they begin to sing words like, the devil's going to watch you burn. Chris Stapleton wrote this song after the Vegas shooter who shot up a country music festival in Vegas a few years back. And he wrote this song as a warning. But he, he's writing a warning, but he's also writing a declaration of hope that there's actually punishment for evil. And on our, our national television, we would, we would see Chris Stable with a black gospel choir who would sing and people singing in the crowd words like, you're going to get your turn. Devil's going to watch you burn. Can you imagine? See, what they've convinced you of in the church is that you can't believe in something like this, but yet the world knows we have to have a place like hell. Stapleton in the bridge of his song or kind of the last verse before the, the climax of the song, he writes this message to the evil ones. You know who you are. I beg of you, don't you go too far. Just know this, let it give you pause before you mail out your bombs and pull a trigger in a synagogue. You're gonna get your turn you're gonna get your turn. Devil's gonna watch you burn. You know, national television, this is not only acceptable, but celebrated. Why? Because they know intrinsically something to be true. Now I'm convinced growing up in the same part of Eastern Kentucky as Chris Stapleton, I'm sure that Chris grew up in the church. And see, the, the scriptures have influenced our worldview. And yet the world knows that God could not be good if he did not punish evil. How could he be a good father if he wasn't furious about those who hurt his children? See, what we've experienced over the past few months the tragedies that have been going around our country. What hope do we have? What justice do we have if there's not a God who is ferocious about his children? See, the reality is there is a place called hell and it was not prepared for human beings. Matthew 25, 41, the king says to his wicked servants who have gone astray, Depart from me and be thrown into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his demons. So the reality is hell is not a place that was created for human beings. But there are human beings who will end up there. There are human beings who will decide that their way is better than God's way. And they'll decide to listen to the evil one who deceives and manipulates and leads astray and moves them into the death, the recesses of hell that is the furthest place from God. 
Why is hell so bad? Because God is so good and hell is the furthest place from him. And there will be those because God loves and he gives free will. There will be those who choose to move away from a loving God, a loving father, and they will choose to go astray. One theologian says it this way. He says, on that day of judgment, that day, that great and terrible day, the day we would stand before a holy and just God, there will be those whom say to God, thy will be done. Not my will, Lord. Not my way. I know my way. I know the old me. I know the scheming. I, I know the lying. I know the manipulating. I know me. Not my will, but your will be done. And there will be those of whom God says to them, thy will be done. Have it your way. And the result of men who live for themselves, their way, will be the farthest place from God. And they will choose to be in a place that was never prepared for them. See, friends, sometimes when we talk about the doctrine of hell, when we talk about the reality of hell, we think about our unbelieving neighbor and not Hitler or Stalin. See, our scope is too limited. We're, we're too narrow in our perspective. Why? Because you only have your perspective. And you think life's a movie about you, don't you? I'm just the southern preacher in your movie. And yet, this is a big story. This is a story about a good God and his creation. And his creation who has gone astray. See, God gives free will. And the reality is, is in created things, there's levels to that evil. See, a, a dog can only be so good or so bad. A man can be a good man or an evil one. A spiritual being can be an angel devoted to the work of the creator or the very definition of evil. God has created and he's given life and love and liberty. And we have the choice. Will we fight to follow? Will we fight to follow? Will we fight to choose his way over our way? Pastor, all this talk of fighting, what about turning the other cheek? Do you know what kind of fight that would be? To have one slap your cheek? You know how hard you'd have to fight to turn the other one? Do you know how hard it is to fight to bridle your tongue when you've got something to say? You know how hard it is to give a soft answer? How hard it is to fight to be a man of character, a good father who's like his heavenly father, slow to anger, abounding in love. See, we long for a place called hell. 
because we long for the justice of God. Because when you look at the evil around the world, you go, God, someone has to do something. First Peter says this, God is not slow in the way you and I perceive slowness, but he longs for everyone to repent. He longs, he sets us on a course that we are co-laborers with Christ, sending out the message, don't go your way, go his way. We cry out, run towards the light. We cry out, today is the day of salvation. Because he longs for people to come and know him. Revelations 6.10 says that those who have gone, those who have been martyred, those who have been hurt, his children. John hears them crying in the book of Revelation and they cry out, oh Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? How long, oh Lord? See, it's the father's ferocious love for his children that someday we cry out the old psalmist would say maranatha maranatha the lord come quickly set things just right if you've ever looked at the world and said someone should do something about this i want to tell you there's a plan to do something about this if you've ever said god i want you to fix things he's got a plan to fix things and he starts with you and i from the inside out. And he starts in our families, in our homes, in our marriages. And out of that, the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That people will see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. What is that plan? Fathers who fight. What is that plan? Men and women who fight for the truth. Because here's the reality. The truth will set you free. Fathers, I wrote this statement and then I thought, no, it's got to be both. It has to be the inverse has to be true as well. I wrote it this way first. Fathers, allow your fury to fuel your love. But the reality is, in order to make sure that I stay on the way of Jesus, fathers, let your love fuel your fury. Be furious about your love for God and his truth and he'll lead you in a ferocious way that you can love your family and fight well so that others will win. Happy Father's Day. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. I thank you for ferocious fathers who love well. Help us to be ferociously devoted to your house, committed to hearing your word. Let us be ferocious in our pursuit of you, Lord Jesus. Let us fight well that others may win. Let us fight to follow the person of Jesus. Let us fight upstream. Let us create cultures that are counterculture in our home, in our communities, in our houses of worship. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the good news that we have a ferocious father that someday will set everything just right. We thank you. We praise you. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?